The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Hi, everyone. Well, we are on week two of being back after the new year. And just last week, I was saying how promising it all looked. Obviously, my open had just been pre-recorded the day before. And it's true. They do say you never know what tomorrow brings. But you know what? I really didn't know that tomorrow would bring when I recorded that. An attempted takeover coup at the Capitol. Holy hell, what is happening in the world right now? Look, at the end of the day, and you guys know where I sit politically, and we're all entitled to our own opinions, but the violence, the division, the hate, it is so heartbreaking and sad to see. The whole scene hit me really hard, and I have been struggling over the last week. I'm just trying to find time to be quiet, move my body, and breathe through all the extra stress because I don't know what else to do with it. That and I even gave The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City a try because you know what? I don't have any episodes of New York that I haven't watched yet. I was excited to hear that HBO Max is bringing back Sex in the City, which is good because we all need Carrie right now. If I were being specific, I would say we need Carrie Matheson from Homeland because it appears that there doesn't seem to be anyone like her working at our government headquarters and we sure could have used her the other day. But Carrie Bradshaw will bring us a different kind of security. The only major glitch is that there's no Samantha Jones. Okay, so no Samantha is a little bit like having the Kardashians with no Chloe. I don't really get it, but let's see what they do. I also love the notion of following women in their 50s and their love lives and everything that keeps happening long after life has written you off as a woman like post 40 years old or whatever happens in Hollywood. Okay, so for today's guest, I'm really excited for you guys to meet Dr. Shireen Idris, who's a New York-based dermatologist. She was a total pleasure to talk to and learn from, even while she was in the midst of her COVID diagnosis and quarantine from her family and had to be isolated as she worked through her own symptoms in the house. So she was a total treat. While she's obviously super helpful as far as a various range of different skin issues, what I found most interesting was getting her perspective almost from an anthropological standpoint, of all the psychological impact of us using filters and distorting our image and liking the way we look better when we don't look like ourselves and what it really means. She was just really great, and I hope you guys enjoy her as much as I do. With no further ado, here is next week's episode. Stay well. I hope you enjoy and lots of love. Today's guest is a board-certified dermatologist that specializes in facial aesthetics and rejuvenation, as well as minimally invasive body tightening, which are all things I would desperately welcome right now. I became totally obsessed with her after discovering her Instagram page, and I love her one-night stand series, featuring conversations with super fun and dynamic guests where they learn from each other and dish all sorts of beauty tips from the comfort of their beds. The whole thing is way more rewarding than any other one-night stand I've had. Thank you so much, Shireen, for being here. I'm I am so excited to meet you and to pick your brain. You and I'm so honored that you guys are having me on. Thank you so much. Of course. Where in the world are we finding you? I am locked up. Okay. <laughs> Connecticut in my bedroom right now because I have COVID. Oh my God. Yeah, I am I'm locked in my room. The door is locked. There's a baby gate outside of my door. It's like Fort Knox. And I've been here now for the past five days alone. So if I sound a little or if I'm a little bit out of it, I apologize. My God, I'm speaking to someone in solitary confinement. How are you feeling? I am. It's like, this is like your interview of your lifetime to someone in jail, basically. Literally. I I feel okay. I'm going to press you for all the juice right now, too, (laughs) because I know you'll just be happy to talk to someone. I will tell you everything and anything you want to know. I'm okay. I feel very, 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 very blessed that I hope if this is it, I'm very fortunate Mm -hmm. that this is just it. So number one, I feel blessed. Number two, I feel like shit. (laughs) Yeah. What kind of symptoms are you you experiencing? I don't taste or smell a thing. 
I uh -huh. couldn't sleep last night till like 3 a.m. thinking, what if there was a fire and I can't smell it and okay. the alarm doesn't go off? So I was a little paranoid till 3 a.m. But the silver lining is, you know, I'm eating super healthy because I, mm -hmm. you know, I can eat anything steamed or anything. I still don't taste it. So it doesn't matter what I'm eating. So I'm sticking to healthy. And it's every day it varies. I had really bad eye pain on Sunday night before. I, I have not heard that one before. I couldn't look left or right. I felt like my eyes were working out. And then I had really bad muscle pain on Wednesday and then TMI, but a little bit of diarrhea every day. <laughs> a little sprinkle of diarrhea, you know? You know what? That's what 2020 needs, right? Yeah. It's just a little sprinkle of diarrhea on it. It's a sprinkle of diarrhea. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. When I lock myself in my room, why not sprinkle diarrhea on top? You know you what I mean? Well, have that going on because you have nowhere else to go except the bathroom. Exactly. And you know, it sounds like you're eating clean. So maybe your body's just getting used to like your whole new regimen. Yeah. You know, I haven't had sugar and, since Monday, you mm -hmm. know, it's after Thanksgiving. So I'm, I've been like detoxing, no alcohol, no sugar, no bread, because there's no point. I don't, I enjoy it for its taste and I eat it every day because I love it. Totally. If I taste it. What's the point? Yeah, what's the point? Might as well go super clean. How are you feeling mentally? Because I'm asking people that regardless, just because the threat of COVID and the changes to our day-to-day -day existence are so intense, but for you actually experiencing the kind of monster that's like lurking around the corners for everybody, how is it affecting you mentally? I will say the first day I was like a breakdown mode because I was so paranoid. Since February, I've been wearing a mask because of Instagram. I get all these messages from people in Europe telling me it's coming, it's coming. And people at my office thought I was nuts. Mm -hmm. I closed that first week of March before anyone closed because I was so paranoid. And given how I, I myself am personally getting on with this, I feel like it's been very much a meditative kind of time where I finally feel like there's a release because I was so, you know, stressed out this whole time and nervous that I feel like I've been living this release and I feel like a weight has is slowly getting lifted off of my shoulders, but only because I am personally very, very lucky that this is mm -hmm. it for me. You know, I, I, I'm not at all advocating, go get it. it you just do not know what you're going to get. And you, you're not always going to be lucky. And a lot of people were, you know, are not lucky and unfortunately six feet under because of it. And so don't go crazy, but I do feel like given my personal situation every day, as I get closer to like 14 days after exposure, I feel like a slow release of that underlying. There's this thing that they said, Michael J. Fox said, if you think of the worst possible thing happening and then it happens, then you've just gone through it twice. But really that's what's going on for you too, because we're all imagining it happening, right? But now you're actually experiencing it. And it sounds like maybe in some ways it's, not to say not as bad as you thought it would be, but it's a relief in some way to be confronted with the worst case scenario and say like, I'm okay. That's exactly. Sure, there's diarrhea. Sure, there's all the other stuff. Well, sure, I can't get out of bed because my I feel like someone beat me up in my butt, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I feel very lucky that I'm still at home. I feel very lucky that I'm still able to breathe on my own. I feel very lucky that I can get up and have this conversation with you and sound normal. You know, I, I'm taking every negative with a, silver lining and a positive twist. And so also I have two little kids, three and one. I have a full-time job that I travel to the city two hours a day to get to and come back. This is a nice break. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> in a really effed up way because I'm stuck in my room. I'm stuck by myself and it's giving me the time to finally think and breathe and just like be. Do you think 14 days, like when it ends that you might tell your husband that you're still experiencing symptoms, even if you're not? <laughs> just to get a, a little peace and quiet. I don't know if he's going to tell me. I think you should stay up there a little bit longer. It can kind of go both ways. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You know what? It'll be the reckoning when it's over. I, I don't know who wants it more, him or me, but well, to, to be determined. <laughs> yeah. Everybody needs a serious break from each other at this point. Yeah. Honestly, though, I think this is the biggest takeaway is like if you have a chance to kind of close yourself off for a day or two, even in life. I think this is something I'm going to continue even post COVID. And I did tell that to my husband. I think every month I should have a day where I can close myself off and not speak to anyone because it's, it's actually very healthy and, and, uh, grounding in a sense, you know? Yeah. It's a room of one's own. Yeah. I'm into that. I, I want to start doing that in my own life too. Prior to this and prior to actually getting sick, what was getting you through the odd times of it all? 
I was just really focusing on the day-to-day. I work and live in New York City. My family lives usually in New York City. Since COVID hit, we were very lucky to be able to find a place in Connecticut that we rented out and we have the house for a full year. So my husband's working from home. And so he's actually living in Connecticut with the two little kids since COVID hit. As I've been going back and forth to the city, I've literally just been trying to take it a day at a time because I think the big picture is very scary and just daunting and overwhelming. And so what's been getting me through this is just one day at a time and the simple little pleasures in life, whether it's like getting that Ben and Jerry's peanut butter pretzel ice cream or (laughs) the croissant from the cafe that I can finally go to after, you know, the quarantine was lifted in June in New York City. You know, it's like the little things that are really making me the happiest and just trying to get me through stupid things to look forward to, you know, getting a Christmas tree, decorating it, like mini milestones rather than big picture. Yeah. I hope that we hold on to that. Listen, like, obviously I hope that we get back to a semblance of normalcy, but I do hope that we all retain that those little pleasures are actually really what it's all about anyways. Having more appreciation for the simpler things. That and then I want to buy my island. Yes. <laughs> you know, because the world is just crazy. So I'm ready to go like, you know, it's either a simple pleasures ice cream or, you know, a bajillion dollar island. You know? you know what? Like those are just degrees. You know what I mean? Degrees are the same thing. That's, you know, the simple pleasures. Well, one thing that we love talking about is just designing a life that fits us, not the other way around. And I wonder, you know, if you could give us a little bit of background on yourself and where you grew up and what sort of life you envisioned for yourself. I am originally Lebanese. I was born in the U.S. because of the war in Lebanon. So my parents, my mom actually got on a plane the week before I was born. And I went back after five days, which is crazy. I kind of just took a five-day-old back. And we ended up going to Cyprus and relocating in Cyprus until we were able to get the paperwork from my sisters. So my dad had the green card and I was obviously a citizen back to the U.S. because Lebanon was blowing up, literally blowing up. There was a civil war that was like rampant. And so we ended up relocating to D.C. Basically, my parents thought every year they were going to be able to move back once the war was over. And every year it was sort of this ongoing discussion until it just never happened. And so I grew up in D.C. I went to a French school in D.C. because that's the second language in Lebanon. And so my parents wanted to make sure we were, you know, multilingual and speaking everything. And growing up, when you're a first generation, you know, child of an immigrant who basically came here with the luggage and the money in their pocket and, you know, the degree that they hold, you have a very different outlook on life when you know your family back home is living a different reality. And so for me, it was very much like, make sure you're always able to be independent, make sure you're always able to stand on your own two feet. Uh, You know, money can come and go. You can be the richest person one day and that can be taken away from you in a second or the poorest and you can, you know, it doesn't matter as long as you have something in your brain. So that really did shape me growing up. And my dad is a doctor, but he never said you have to go into medicine. It was more be as independent as you can possibly be without ever having to rely on a corporation, on a company, on a man, on a woman, on me, because you don't even know if the money that I'm going to give you when I die is still going to be there. And so that's sort of how I was brought up. And I think it, it instilled in me this kind of fear in a way, or not fear, motivation to save myself constantly and rely on myself and only me. And to this day, I still have it. My husband, God bless his soul, is like, Shreen, sometimes you don't have to worry. I work. And I'm like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you know, It doesn't matter because I just want to be able to always support me and my family to the best of my own ability. And it was really ingrained, I think, from growing up and seeing what happened in Lebanon, seeing what happened to my parents, what happened to our family and everything. And so, yeah, so that's been my one motivating factor in life is just save myself as much as possible, whether it's through my own brain, my own studies, my own skills, whatever it is. And uh, I really pushed through and I was really lucky in high school I uh, applied to the seven-year program at GW, which is a straight shot, BAMD program. So are you like a Doogie Hauser? I think I'm a very lucky human being. Mm -hmm. I'm a very fortunate human being because I applied to that knowing I wanted to go into medicine and thinking to myself, if I end up hating medicine, at least I'll have an MD and I'll have that degree if God forbid shit ever hits the fan. But not realizing how much I loved it because who knows really at 16 or 17 how much you love something. At all. Yeah, exactly. And it changes, you know, it changes. And even for me in undergrad, when I was like 
18, seeing my friends go out or studying marketing, which is, I love marketing or like, you know, it would make me wonder, am I doing the right thing? Did I make the right decision? And, you know, I questioned it a lot, but I was like, you know, I'm going to stick through this and just keep going. And I applied thinking I was going to do plastic surgery until I discovered dermatology. I was very lucky and fortunate that I got, that I got into it when I got into it because it, it kept me on track and it kept me going. Okay. So you thought you were going to go into plastics and then what changed? So I was, it was undergrad. My sister had a really bad case of eczema Mm -hmm. and I ended up going with her to the dermatologist thinking germs like everyone else always just pop pimples, you know, like that. Yeah, check moles. You know, I just thought it was something boring. And then as she got better and she felt better and I, you know, I was following her along, I realized this is actually a really cool field because not only do the patients know what they have, but they want to make it better because they're motivated. I don't have to convince you. I hate convincing anyone of anything. And I was like, they can also do other cosmetic stuff as well, working through your hands, enhancing people with what they already have without fully changing them, which is something that I've always believed and felt in my heart. Even going into plastics, it's something I want to incorporate, but I thought this could actually be much more impactful on a patient's life as you get to grow with a patient and learn from them and they learn from you. And you can really, you can really impact somebody's life along the way versus plastic surgery. It's a one and done. And so I got into dermatology that way, started doing research. I ended up taking a year off in med school because I was so young. I was like, let me go meet more people, do research, kind of figure it out, really see what it's about. I have time anyway. I loved it. And then I applied and got in and I was really Again, very fortunate. When you say you did research, did you go and work in any offices or did you like, because I think you mentioned earlier, it's like, what do you really know at 16 of what you want? And I think that this applies to, you know, all sorts of professional endeavors is you can have a really romanticized notion of what something looks like. And then until you're kind of like in it and in the nitty gritty, you don't know what it really entails. Mm. So what sort of exposure could you get at that stage of your life to, to make the decision? So in undergrad, my, when my sister was diagnosed, it was, I think I was 18 and a half and 19. So mm-hmm. for that year, I started med school at 20. That year, I followed that dermatologist. I actually asked her, hey, you know, can I shadow you every week for like a couple of hours just to see what this is about? Because I didn't know. And she was really nice and took me under her ring and I followed her every week. And then at 21 or something, whenever I took that year off, I basically shadowed a dermatologist in Boston but I was also at university setting doing clinical research. I did basically telemedicine, understanding the impact of online support groups with people with chronic skin disorders like psoriasis and how having a support group can sh- and a mental positive change can affect your skincare and your skin outcomes. And there was a direct correlation to that. And I thought that was fascinating. You know, it's all, it, it proved further what I always believed. And so I just pushed through and I applied once you know, the time came to apply in med school. When you say that what you further believed, is that in a sense of community or which part of that? You know, it's funny, the community part, I didn't put two and two together until very recently with Pillow Talk Durham and doing that whole online support group over 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I guess that was a very subconscious belief that I never even realized. What I mean more so is how when you feel good about yourself and when you feel confident and when you feel secure, you do better whether it is with a physical illness, whether it is with a body issue, anything, you know, really. When you feel like you have the right support, when you feel good about your surroundings, you just do better in life, period. And that's why I like cosmetics within dermatology, because I'm working within the frame that I have, not trying to change it, trying to make people feel better with what they have and giving them the tools to succeed and do better. And so for me, that's, that really kind of tied it all together. Hi guys, I'm Caitlin Carter, host of the Bright Side Podcast. I created the show as a space for people who have had an impact in my life to further inspire others through their stories, their honesty, their kindness, and optimism. Each week, I'll be sitting down with inspiring friends, new and old, who have meaningful conversations centered around our own experiences with complete transparency and authenticity. We will discuss how we face challenging moments, adjust perspective, and reframe situations to find the silver lining. I personally believe that there is a bright side to every situation, and I'm excited to have this platform to encourage that way of thinking and share this message with you all. New episodes come out on Tuesdays, so come join me and start your week on the bright side. So the concept of having it all is something that we're pushed a lot, right? And I think that you're going to be so interesting to talk to about this because obviously, you know, just a woman being alive in the world, but also I feel like 
as a dermatologist, you're also probably like part therapist and part anthropologist too, you know, just in studying human behavior and how we're all coping with everything and what we want to project out beyond our outward appearance. But like you said, how intrinsic that is into your own self-value. So I'm curious, like for you, is the idea of having it all a thing? Do you have a concept of what that would look like for you? Or do you believe that's just something to add additional pressure to ourselves? I think the idea of having it all is a feeling. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a thing, you know, and if it's a thing, you're going to be chasing this never ending rainbow that you're never going to feel fulfilled by. And I'm not saying that to sound cliche or, you know, philosophical, but I really do think the idea of having it all is really an innate inside feeling of being content and of feeling secure. And I don't want to say of feeling happy because what is happiness, but I think it's a feeling of security and contentment with oneself. And once you have that, then you have the confidence to really do anything you want to do. And I think if you can achieve that, then you know that you've had, you have it all. Truth. Yeah, I, I think so too. I'm learning and I'm believing. And I, I maybe it's the last five days of quarantine <laughs> you know, that brought on this newfound like discovery for me. But it's really, it's a feeling more than anything. It's probably like the first time that your, your head has been sort of quieted. There's so much noise all the time, literal and just in your thought process. And I think being sort of siphoned off from your family and your work and everything like you are being literally right now, you're getting to kind of like really like take a breath and a beat and assess. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So obviously I'm so happy that I discovered your Instagram page and I only lament not only that we're in a global pandemic, but that I don't live in New York, although I intend to come and visit you when I do come there and when we're back up and running, but I have a couple. Oh, do you come to California? Well, you want to hear the irony? I got my California medical license March 3rd. No. <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? Do you, is it, by the way, is it like the bar exam or how does it work to get your license in another state? You submit all of your credentials. They have to review everything. And then they, you know, you pay a massive fee and uh, it takes months. I applied August, 2019 and I got it March 3rd. Did you do that because you think you're going to start coming to California more? I have a few patients who have asked me to come for them. Mm -hmm. I was willing to go back and forth for a few handful of patients. I don't know if I was going to have like an open clinic per se, but now who knows what the future holds. So at least it's a nice optionality to have available and to kind of see how I want to use it. Right. It's a little bit like what you said with your dad in the beginning. It's like you're, you have that again, this is something that they can't take away from you. You're totally self-reliant and have the license will travel. Exactly. If only there were people in Los Angeles who wanted dermatological help. If only, if only, but I can maybe dig up a few. Okay. So I have a, I have a few quick fire dermo questions for you. And these are some things that I discovered also on your Instagram. Okay. Now 2020 is hard enough, right? Yes. And I love that you, you just put up something about butt me from just sitting around in your pants and your athleisure all day. But something that resonated with me personally is something that you put up about our knees so like as women and men too, obviously, but you know, we can't save everybody right now <laughs> as women get older, like the knee shifts. And I just remember when I was a lot younger and Demi Moore came back in Charlie's angels and she was like coming out with like this hot bod and she was probably, I don't know, like 43 at the time, but they were like, she had all these surgeries and she lifted her knees. And I was like, what does that even mean? Lifted your knees. And now I'm like, oh, I see like. The knee's like the nose of the leg, right? And it's just like, it's having an effect. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying you should, I'm not trying to give people insecurities about their knees, but it's a big insecurity for a lot of women that I don't even think they realize that there are options to help themselves. And the cheapest option and the easiest option is basically extend your skincare from your face to your knees. Uh, whatever you would use that has you know, collagen production benefits or skin tightening benefits or moisturizing benefits or sun protection benefits on your face, if you're that annoyed and bummed out by your knees, extend it down because it's not going to hurt. So that's something you can easily do for yourself to help yourself. And there are many non-invasive things you can do from stimula stimulatory injections like Sculptra or Dilute Radius to skin tightening treatments, to even doing threads around the knees to help, you know, lift in certain directions. There's a lot of new technology out there that can really make a dramatic difference in someone's life if they feel like that's really the bane of their existence. By the way, uh, it, it, like, it seems like such second nature, what you're saying. 
And I don't know why it didn't occur to me. We all like buy so much stuff for our under eyes and this. And sometimes I'm even like, oh, I got to put some sunscreen on my hands. But my goddamn knees, it never occurred to me to just put my creams down there. I think it's very healthy. I think you're very healthy that it didn't occur to you. It's like, it's second nature for me because I live and breathe this 28 hours out of the day. Okay. Well, that brings me to my next question, which again, I think that this is like such an interesting period of time that we're living in. And especially right now where we're all communicating virtually, right? More than ever. You're not even having the option necessarily to see people in person. So we're all FaceTiming and Zooming and everything else. And also we have been blessed slash cursed with Instagram filters. And I think everybody can, you know, relate to that feeling of like, you put something on it. You're like, this is crazy, whatever. But you find that one and you're like, wow, this is like a subtle refinement here, maybe just the tip of the nose or something. And then something will happen. Like a call will come through and your filter goes away. And like the face staring back at you unfiltered all of a sudden is like, what is that? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that what I look like? Cause you just kind of got accustomed to looking like this potentially, I don't want to say better, but different version of yourself. So is this a phenomenon? Are people coming to your office more affected and wanting to be looking more akin to their Instagram filters. Absolutely. 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 Not just Instagram. I think Zoom is also worse than Instagram because Zoom, people are now looking at themselves at angles that people don't usually look at themselves, you know, from below if their laptop's on the desk, it's not as high as it should be. And so I think this idea of constantly looking at your own face for feedback when you're talking to somebody else is just not natural and instilling a lot of insecurities in a lot of people and unfounded insecurities because they're not real. You know, like a lot of people think they have double chins, but I'm like, where's your computer? They're like, oh, my laptop's on my desk. I'm like, yeah, do you lift up your laptop when you're talking to someone? They're like, no, I'm like, obviously you're going to have a double chin. You're looking down, you know? And same goes with the filters. I think the filters, and listen, I, I've, even, I've even used a few of those filters where I look like, some Svetlana, you know? Yeah, I, I have that one too. <laughs> a sex bomb from someplace. And then all of a sudden, like, I don't know, like you said, a FaceTime calls comes in. I'm like, who's that Hideous person? Oh, that's yes. Me. Oh my God. I say that too. Like, <laughs> Hideous <laughs> person is me. And then You're I have like, to be like, where the fuck is Svetlana? I need where her back. Svetlana go? <laughs> and so you have to just, I, that's why I just don't do it. I don't do it because I don't want to get used to it. It's like drugs. I don't do drugs because I don't want to get used to the feeling of drugs. I don't do filters like that because I don't want to get used to that feeling of filters. It's just not worth it. It's got to be preservation of your just mental health, right? Yeah, yeah. it's a drug. At the end of the day, those filters are drugs. The same way like cocaine is a drug, filters are drugs to a certain extent. And I want to preserve my mental sanity. I wonder for you too, if you have a little bit more of the kind of holistic view of the impact of it, right? Like, because you see women all day long. And like you said, what drew you to it was being able to subtly enhance people and to give them that bump of encouragement and that self-confidence to go out and to be the best versions of themselves and to feel great. But at the same time, on the flip side of that, it's just people who are rejecting their own appearance, which I'm sure is totally fine, right? But like, not all of us were meant to look like Bella Hadid. Bella Hadid was not meant to look like Bella Hadid. Absolutely, you're, you're absolutely right. I think I have a different perspective because like you said, I see like 22, 24 women a day on average and I hear all of their insecurities and I find myself oftentimes saying, I wish you could see what I see and not what you see. And it goes against me telling you this because I'm losing money right now. Like, you know, I'm not doing a procedure because you don't need it, you know? And so this happens every single day. How do you determine that, right? Because look, at the end of the day, this is a business for you, right? And you need to make money. And obviously you want to make sure that anything that you do is for the best ultimate health and well-being of the patient, but there's a lot of doctors who are obviously more motivated financially, you know, and this is something we'll get to later too, but like even companies like are selling us on false claims just today. You broke my dreams when I was using one of those quartz jade rollers for my face, thinking, you know, that I was going to emerge looking like smooth and like a goddess. And then you're like, this doesn't even work. And it's like, we are all buying into so many like quick fixes and, you know, like these like demigods of anything that we think is going to make us look better. 
and half of it isn't true. So how do you decide, look, if I, if I give this person filler, it's not going to, it's not going to harm them. Are they going to look any younger? No. But is this what they want? Yes. Like, how do you make that decision? I have a very honest discussion about my train of thought with the patient. I don't hide it. And I really, truly believe that when you work from a place of integrity and care and love, and I really love what I do, and my craft is more important than anything, more important than your opinion about your own face, because my name at the end of the day is on your face, you will be successful no matter what. And I feel like with my patients, I have open and honest discussions like, hey, I don't think you need this. I'm absolutely not doing this. Or, hey, you know, you could potentially use a little bit if that's really what you want. I understand where you're coming from. Do I think it's a necessity? No. I let them make up their mind and make up their decision of what they want to do. But do I sit down and impose my views on people? I would say 1% of the time. 1% of the time when they have no work. More than 1% of the time when they have terrible work and I'm like, I'm imposing my views and not working on you until I could fix what is done. Yeah. And obviously it's subjective. It's a very subjective thing, but that's why I keep telling everybody, find the person that you really trust and that you want to grow with because you have to trust in their subjectivity. You know, nothing is ever objective, especially not when it comes to cosmetics. So if you can't trust the person who's working on you, or you feel like they're doing it with ulterior motives in mind, then run. Right. Well, and I think you said something about this too. And I always think this is an indication across the board, no matter what you're looking into, but if the person whose office you're in looks like they've overdone it, right? You have to like have a sense of, you know, like you said, it's subjective. And what's their aesthetic? Is their aesthetic more Svetlana or is their aesthetic more kind of natural little like tweak here or there? But I wonder for you talking about something like injectables. So I live in Los Angeles, as you know. And I could throw a rock and hit like a 20 year old girl who has already shot up her face so much that she's not looking 15. She's all of a sudden actually looking much older. And I wonder what that phenomenon is about and like where you think that sweet spot is for women to start with any of those. Or I may have read this on your Instagram. Maybe it's not age dependent. Maybe it's, you know. Age is not a skin type. Age dictates to a certain extent how you look. Mm-hmm. But I've seen 50 year olds who look amazing. I've seen 20 year olds who look like they're almost in their mid 40s. Right. And I think it really, de- it's a case by case basis. If somebody is 20 and looks like they're eight, I'm not going to touch you. But if you're 22 and you have deep set lines and it makes you look already weathered and tired and worried, and you're still at the very beginning of your life, you need some help. And I get it, you know, and I'm here to help you feel better and more confident to get through it. So I think it's a very much a case by case basis. And it's a feeling. There are some patients I walk in and the hairs on the back of my neck stand up and I'm like, I don't want to treat this person for whatever reason. And when I've gone against my gut, I've gotten into trouble having to deal with emotional issues that I don't, you know, necessarily, I'm not equipped to deal with. So I think I I, I try to follow my gut. I try to listen to the patient. I try to see who's sitting in front of me and I go from there. Right. The emotional issues, I'm sure it's just like some people will never be satisfied, right? Or you couldn't Botox away the whole that they're trying to fail. That goes back to your point. What is the having it all? It's a feeling. People who are trying to chase looking a certain way who are never happy, it's yeah. because they're lacking that feeling inside of feeling more secure and comfortable. And they're looking to me to try to fill a void and I'm never going to fill that void for them. I know. This is, it's like your role is quite heavy, actually. I think I know. you have to occupy... I think COVID has made me heavy. I'm so sorry. No, Usually- no, no, no. I mean, your role is heavy because I just think people are coming to you with a lot of expectation. There's a lot riding on it. It's not just like, oh, I want a little additional oomph to my lip. I want to feel better when I go on the dating app. I want to feel more confident when I go into the job interview. I want to like all those things. And so the expectation is quite a lot for you to have to deliver. One of my nurses who works with me once is like, I don't know why anybody would do what you do. Really? (laughs) Exhausting. You know, because you see 20, 25 women and men, but mostly women in my practice, I'd say nine out of 10 or eight and a half out of 10 a day, throwing all of their emotional baggage and issues onto you, looking to you to help make them feel and look better. It can definitely be draining, but I love what I do. And honestly, that's what pushes me through every single day.
I know you do something with threading and Ava Mendez recently, did you see that photo? No. She put up this thing and I, I feel like it's sort of similar to something I've seen on your page where she had literally like all these things coming out from underneath her chin and you do something right where it's called like a mesh. Yeah. I create like a mesh with the different threads underneath the submental area just to give it a little bit of a structural support for the face. This is wild. So you're literally just actually threading threads through somebody's, what, what do we call this area? Submental area. For you guys who can't see us, it's like, it's underneath your chin. It's like your gobbler. Yeah. Your little gobble gobble area, just to kind of give it more of a, a support to hold up, to be firm, to kind of give more definition to that area of the face. Oh my God. Well, you know, and I know that you're an artist as well, right? So it's like, you must mesh all of that into it. So I started painting in med school. I don't, I don't know if I, I feel like- You're an artist in my book. And I'm so like grandiose. I'm not, I mean, I paint. I know you're a fine artist, so. I am, I'm at the Louvre. Um, no, I paint, I started painting in the garage of my parents. Uh, in their studio. Yeah, in their studio, <laughs> far like backed up. I basically started painting as an outlet just to kind of, you know, release my stress from med school and all everything in life. And it's a lot of stress going through med school at 20 years old and 21. And it's just a hobby that I've just kept going with. And I find that, and I actually have a massive canvas right here in my room. You do? What are you working? Oh, I like that. That I figured I'm here stuck alone. I might as well, you know, spend my hours focusing on details and painting a little bit because it really does release a lot of stress and energy. Yeah. It's like and a whole adult coloring book too, right? It's like just being yeah. so singularly focused on something else allows for you to have that meditative state. Yeah, absolutely. And makes you much more, I don't know, in tune with yourself. I, I, I think painting, everybody should try to like draw or paint at some point in their life. Yeah. I love it. What is your style as far as setting goals? Are you pretty like regimented? Do you have a five-year plan? Are you more fluid? What's your vibe? I used to be regimented, obviously going through med school, under, undergrad, then med school, then residency, then this. And then I realized uh, you make plans. And what's the expression? You make God laughs. God laughs. And I met my husband who was living in London. I thought I had to move to London. I had to try to figure out how to work in London after training. That didn't work. He then moved to New York. My plan was always to move back to DC and work at the practice that I you know, shadowed the woman at. That went out the window. And then I didn't know anybody in New York. So I, I, I don't make plans. I just kind of, at this point, I live life going with the flow, trying to find, you know, obviously like milestone plans, like ideally ballpark, I would love this at some point, but I don't hold myself to in three months, I need this in six months, I need that. I, I find that to be extremely stressful. Okay. What about, you know, taking victories? Are you able to sort of, you know, maybe it's this week, kind of have yeah. that quiet time and take stock of like, look at how much I've accomplished, or is it always around the next bend for you? When I have a victory, I think I enjoy it. I give myself a pat on the back. I really try to like live it and enjoy it for the moment but I don't want to overlive it or let it, you know, come into my head playing with my, you know, <laughs> I never want to be a narcissist or I've worked with narcissists. I've never want to be somebody who believes my shit doesn't stink. And so I try to just- Especially right now, right? <laughs> I mean, right now it doesn't stink. I don't think anything right now, but uh, I mean, I, it really doesn't stink. Um, but I would say that like, I'll take those victories, really enjoy them, give myself a pat on the back and then move on. Yeah. You know, and I think I, I just try to enjoy the ride more so than anything, because that's the funnest part is the ride. It's not actually reaching your destination. Totally. Speaking about the ride, obviously, I know you were pretty open about having fertility struggles en route to becoming a mom. Was that something that you found a lot of help through a community of your own at that time? Or was it something you held closer to the vest? Going through IVF, I'm an open book. My mom is very open as well, but she does believe in evil eye and be careful. Don't care what you say. And I found it, I was, I was struggling. I was like, mom, if I speak about it. And at the time I didn't have pillow talk derm. I didn't have the platform I have today, but I would try to talk to my friends and be honest and social, you know, Hey guys, I'm doing IVF. I got to go shoot myself. And mom like, don't talk about it. I felt that to feel very stressful because I felt like, why do I have to hide something? Because it makes me a little bit more vulnerable. And maybe what I'm hiding is going to potentially help someone else indirectly. And we, I remember we had a couple of arguments, her and I, about it until finally she was like, just wait till after your baby's born. And I respected that, you know, and after my daughter was born is when I really started talking about it much more publicly because I felt like 
I had gone through a miscarriage and it was very difficult the first time because I had told people I was pregnant and then I had to go back and tell them I wasn't. And that made the loss much more dark and hard. And so I did agree with my mother that it's easier to go through losses when it's much more private than when it is on a bigger scale. But now I don't want any more kids. I'm totally done. So I'm like, everybody needs to talk about this who needs help and who's gone through it. And they need to break the barriers once you've gone through it to talk about it because it's going to help so many other people in the process. Yeah. And that makes sense. Well, now that you have your two kids and obviously this is a total wild card and nobody was expecting that we'd all be living together 24 seven like this, but under normal circumstances, I think that the kind of adage of like, we expect women to raise kids as if they're not working and work as if they don't raise kids. Understanding that both take a really good amount of time and energy and devotion. What have you found is your kind of structure or value system as far as prioritization, trying to do both? You know, I think that's the best word is the seesaw of it all. I hate the word balance. I don't think there's any balance ever. Same. One day I'm a great mom. The next day I'm a terrible mom, but I'm a great doctor. The next day I'm a great wife, but I'm a bad sister. Like, I don't think balance ever really exists. And I think you just have to be okay with that, that you're going to be something really good one day and maybe not something really good the same day. The balance is probably that. But I try to be physically and mentally present as much as I possibly can when I'm home and wherever I really am. And it's hard. It's like, it's a, it's a daily struggle because obviously you think of a million other things that you need to be doing when you're doing one thing. COVID this time alone is really helping me kind of reset that. And thinking to myself, maybe I just need one day for myself alone in order to really be present every other day, you know? So I'm just trying to figure it out as I go along, but it's just, it's being okay with the uncertainty and the imbalance of it all. That makes it, I think, more quote unquote balanced, but I hate the word balance. I don't think there's balance. What do you think for you having a little bit of time of reflection and now being further along in your career and also having sort of achieved the family life that you had hoped for? What would having it all look like to you today? The feeling of living without fear of anything, living fear free from COVID, having taste and smell. That's kind of a joke because I do wish I had taste. If I had taste and smell, I'd have it all right now. I really would. But um, I feel like it's just the feeling of living, you know, fear free, fear free of failure, being free to try things, being able to laugh at yourself throughout the process, just being able to be without worry of any judgment or any kind of repercussion is for me having it all. Okay. So we're going to talk about a segment called the riff, and this could be a practice or a product or a service that you use in your life, or maybe in your, maybe in your practice that you think makes things more efficient, better, more beautiful. You know, what is something that you feel people could benefit from? Asking for help. Yes. And not being ashamed to hire help if you need it and if you can afford to, or if you can't afford to, even asking your family for help and asking them to really step it up or friends, uh, finding that support network that can be there for you. I don't have much family around here at all. I have my sister who's in the exact same boat as me with two little kids. And so we're both kind of like sinking ships, <laughs> independently sinking. So oftentimes I want to ask her for help. I know she's spread thin and vice versa. And we try, but it's really hard. And I don't want to put that pressure on her. So my husband and I sat down early on and we made a budget for a hired help who's going to be helping us with our kids because he has a full-time job. I have a crazy job. And, you know, I didn't want to feel resentful towards him and vice versa. So that's how we felt, you know, would be the money most well spent for us. And honestly, that has been the biggest blessing for me is being able to have that help. Especially now I'm quarantined. I'm stuck upstairs. My husband's on the phone 10 hours a day downstairs. Thank God that she's here and she chose to quarantine with us because she was so nervous about COVID and her family isn't here. We are her family and she's our family now. So she's living with us at the moment. And I'm, I tell her every day, I'm so grateful for her, you know, that she's part of this family and, you know, she's choosing to live her life in our house. So I think asking for help is probably the biggest way to set yourself free. Yeah. On all levels. What about, we talk a lot about having it all. What have you had enough of? I'm sure it's COVID first of all. COVID. COVID. I, I want to smell and taste. I want to eat fried chicken and enjoy it. And I know it's only been like five, six days, but I, I, I eat like fried chicken once a week, but I'm sick of people putting such high expectations on themselves constantly and struggling to try to achieve them all the time. 
and I see it. I see it in my practice. Is that pointed it. at me? No, 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 no. <laughs> Just no, 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 no. But I see it in my no, practice. I'm like, oh God, she sees me. No, but I see it. I see, you can see through it, and you could see people who are really always trying to live up to something that they don't feel they can live up to and feeling like they're struggling with it. I think people just need to be able to laugh at themselves more. Yeah. I wish people can laugh at themselves more. And you know, myself too, I have to remind myself as well, laugh at yourself more. I think you laugh at yourself a lot. And I think your whole persona and your pillow talk series and everything that you share really democratizes that information, right? Like for a lot of people who don't have access or financial means to go and see a doctor. I think what you're doing is so incredible. You're giving out such great information. You're making it really digestible and you're making it fun. Like it doesn't have to be so serious. Well, thank you. Today, this is a very serious podcast that you and I are having. And I think it's because I've been alone for five days, but I try, I really try. But even me myself, I have moments where I'm like, oh my God, I didn't do this. You know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I fit Shireen. And then I just have to laugh at myself. Like, I'm just like, who the fuck am I? You know, like, you just have to keep it light. Otherwise, you'll drive yourself nuts. What about lies? So are there any occasions on which you think it's okay to lie? Or what was the last lie that you told? The last lie I told was with you. Oh, God, which one? <laughs> you asked me how, if you pronounce my name correctly, and I said yes. Oh, my God, did I? How do, how do I? Dr. <laughs> Shireen Idris. 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 The actual real way is Idris, Mm -hmm. but the Americanized way is Idris and it's fine. Okay. Dr. Shireen Idris. So I love the pillow talk series. Like what's been the most fun part of doing that and ballsy, by the way, because I love that you just do it laying in your bed. There's no pretense to it. It's so cash. That's what's so refreshing about it too. The inside joke is that I'm always on my bed. Mm -hmm. Whenever my family FaceTimes me, I'm always in bed and they're like, what is wrong with you? And it started because I was, my nurse was like, just get over your fear of public speaking. You're so sick of people coming in with false information to start talking on Instagram. And I had like maybe 500 followers at the time. It wasn't much. So I just went from my bed because I was naturally in bed. It wasn't pre-thought out. It wasn't premeditated. To this day, I don't pre-think of questions before I do them. I just kind of rush and roulette it and just start going based on a topic that, you know, let's talk about, or if I think I see more questions of, I think it's better to go with your gut. Like I said, I stopped planning in life. Then to try to over plan, it's better to just go with a feeling and how you feel and your response to people. And that's sort of what I try to do with Pillow Talk. But it's been a lot of fun. It's been meeting all these people, the followers that, you know, I've gained, the community we've created all together has been amazing. And I mean, I think the biggest surprise was One Night Stand, which I started on a whim in March when I was like depressed because of COVID. Yeah. When it was coming out in New York City. Are you doing it in Instagram Live? Yeah. And they're all Instagram lives and I just save them. And whoever wants to go back and watch them, they can go back and watch them. And then I was so nervous about how am I going to keep these guests coming and how am I going to keep it, you know, like entertaining and fun. And it just snowballed on its own. And I think I've done now 40 interviews. They're so good. I loved when you had Dorinda on, obviously she made it nice. She was amazing. She was so sweet, so real, like a real sweetheart. And I love when you did the thing, I think it's like when your husband's in bed, where you basically were telling everybody that you were talking about yourself, but you were like, so I have this patient and you were like, I'm talking about myself, but so that he wouldn't hear. She just did this. She, she injected a little bit over here, but she was saying that she had, that was hilarious. Yeah. Cause he, he's like, just don't touch your face. Like 99.9% of husbands out there. Right. So are you like, he actually doesn't know. I mean, now he knows, because I think he obviously knows, I, you know, I've come home with a bruise and I'm like, oh, it's nothing. And yeah. I just don't want to have to like hear it from him, but he knows now, but I think he just turns more of a blind eye. Well, I don't know what you've done, but you look very natural and like very undone. That's the whole goal. I don't see anything. Wait, I do have to ask one. This is for um, one of our listeners. She wanted me to ask you about keratosis pilaris. What is that? I was like, I got you, girl. And I was like, I got no idea what this is. KP, keratosis pilaris, is basically a condition Mm -hmm. that affects the hair follicles, usually on the back of the arms or the legs that make you look like bumps. bumps, Okay. And a a rougher chicken skin sort of appearance. And it's because the skin doesn't really release itself very easily around the hair follicles and it creates these little bumps. People who have eczema, asthma, hay fever are more prone to it women more so than men. And it's completely benign. Unfortunately, it's something that's going to come and go throughout your life. So you kind of have to figure out how to work with it and what kind of 
products to use. But like I said, you can extend whatever you use on your face, on your body. Things with lactic acid can definitely help to exfoliate that skin. I even use sometimes salicylic acid wash on my body. You know, I have a tiny bit on the back of my arms. Retin-A prescription, if you have a really big one, you can use it on your arms as well. And this is where I actually go stronger on the prescription because if you get irritated, it's not your face. It's not like your face is shedding. It's your arms. It's fine. It's hidden most of the time. And then moisturizing. There are different other things you can do as well, but those are probably the biggest things in a nutshell. Is there anything that you feel like is like a universal that from your practice, this is, these are like three tenets of healthy skin. I think it's all a balance. Number one, first and foremost, sun protection. And that has, that goes without saying every single day, rain or shine, monsoon or snowstorm or beach, you wear sunscreen. And if you're working by a window that has direct light onto your face or area, you wear the sunscreen. Number two, I think it's balance. Everything in moderation, nothing in extreme sprinkling a little bit of something throughout your skincare routine constantly. I think that is something that's going to give you the healthiest looking skin. Number three, laugh at yourself. I think that's the best thing you could do for your skin and your looks and your face and your whole outlook. I think not taking yourself too seriously is the best thing you can do. Okay. Well, we're going to continue to be tuning in for all your one night stands and all your pillow talk. And I am really hoping that the world opens up and I can come see you. And hopefully I will not give you too much of my emotional baggage and you can give me just a little bit of something. You can give me all your emotional baggage. It's the best part of my day learning about my patients. For anybody who doesn't follow you, where can they find you? At Shireen Idris or Idris. Idris. Or- Shireen Idris. Call it like it is. Call it like it is on Instagram. I am mm-hmm. on YouTube. I just started TikTok, but I don't know if I'm going to survive on TikTok. And I, I, I think you're doing a good job. I don't know. The TikTok thing is a, it's still a love, hate, hate, more hate than love. It's too quick. It's too fast. I don't know if you really build a rapport with people on TikTok like you do on Instagram. And you know who's buying your island? Literally the TikTok stars. So chew on that because they're making <laughs> so much money, right? It's crazy. It's really something, but we'll see what happens with the world. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. And especially with everything you're going through, I hope that you feel well and that this is a quick, speedy recovery. You finish your painting, you have a room of your own, and you come out, emerge like a butterfly from this cocoon, and you just keep doing what you're doing. No, thank you. And thank you for having me. This was the funnest I've had all week. Good. So. <laughs> Not saying much, but I'll take it. But anyway, thank you so No, thank much. you for sharing. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Absolutely. Take care. That's it for today's episode of Having It All and Other Lies. I've been having so much fun talking to and learning from all these amazing women, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and also follow along at Having It All Podcast and swing on over to my page at Sarah underscore Riff. I love hearing from you guys, so please keep up the DMs and emails. And if there's anyone that you want to hear from, let us know. Having It All and Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. See you next week.